0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Hey, good morning, everyone. Look, we're going to do baptisms today. We'll be ending church a little bit early. We'll just start right after that. We'll do some baptisms. Good times. Have some pizza after that with some ice cream. Hey, before we start, let me, I just want to thank everyone for um, delightful experience that we had last week when we were celebrating our uh, 25 years together. It was, um, it was numbing, honestly. It was hard for me to get my hand or my mind around what happened. And, and the many letters that you have sent, uh, I, Melinda read two of them to me and I uh, had to say, stop, I can't, <laughs> can't do this anymore. So uh, we're, we're going to pace these out. Uh, uh, Mark Twain said, I can live a whole week on one good compliment. So I think this will carry me to the way the day I leave here. So Thank you so much for that. Uh, let me tell you a story. It will help um, ignite our, teach- our learning time together. There's a story of these two farmers, and they uh, shared a fence together right, right next to each other. And one was a devout Christian. One was rather embittered atheist. And he didn't like how the Christian was always giving God credit for things and thanking God for the various things that were happening in the life of a farmer. And so uh, one winter, uh, the atheist came to the farmer and said, Look, um, let's put this thing to rest let's have a little experiment. How about you wake up uh, every morning and you thank God for all the work he's doing in, this, in the planting and the harvesting, and then I'll wake up and I will curse God every morning. And then at the end of the season, we'll see, you know, what's real. And so the Christian said, sure, I'll do that. And so they did that. So they planted in, <clears throat> excuse me, they planted in the spring and then October came, the harvest season. They had the same amount of acreage and yet the atheists had a lot more of crops come in. And so he was, you know, taunting the Christian, said, well, you know, what do you, what do you say now about your God? And he said, I say this about my God, that God does not take all of his accounts in October. He does not make right all of his accounts in October. There's a lot of wisdom in that simple farmer's point of view that this life, right, is not how we keep score. That's what we're learning about in the last two weeks. This, this past week and this week is that we live not for October when there's tangible evidence, but rather for that day. The Bible says that, that day is when Jesus will come in, in the glory of his father with his angels. And then he will reward every single person for what they have done. Every single person for what they have done. And that's what we're looking at, because I want you to hear this, and this is, this is the big point of our time together, that there is no such thing as sacrificing to live your life wholeheartedly in obedience to Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as sacrificing when you're living your life wholeheartedly in obedience to Jesus Christ. There's no gift of generosity that will not be repaid several times over on that day. There's no experience of persecution or suffering that will go unrewarded on that day. You don't pay the price for obedience. There's no you pay the price for compromise. Right? Like the French philosopher said right last week, life holds but only one tragedy ultimately, not to have been a saint. And what we're looking at is, is this this value that to be a saint is a rewarding thing. We're not afraid to talk about rewards because God speaks of that, right? Because there's a day coming, there's a judgment day coming, where Jesus will sit down with every single follower of his, and, and he will make things right, and we will be judged according to our motives and our actions, what, what we did with our life. There, there will be nothing that will go unnoticed, nothing that will go unexplained truth will be shed on our light. Every decision has, expect, has a price tag, and it ends, this, this, that day is a spectacular awards banquet. And that's what should be motivating us. That's one of the things that could be motivating us. Okay? In 2 Corinthians, it says this. This is the refer, reference to that day. For all of us, all of us, this is the church, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what's been done in the body, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Okay? The, the judgment seat, the, sometimes it's referred to as the Bema seat, because it, it's this judgment seat. It's to be a privilege. It's a privilege to go before his tribunal because, because we can make things right. We, we assess our motives and our actions, and we're not judged. See, we're not judged in October. When, when the visible harvest, this is the final judgment where he can look at all the things that we've done and all the things that motivate us to do this. And that's why Jesus says, because of that day, because of this event, many of the first in this life, they have the big harvest, will be last. And many of the last in this life, that doesn't seem like they walked away with much in this life, well, they might, they're going to be first because now truth is being told here. Now, this is not this seat, this Bema seat, is not about uh, forgiveness. That's a different experience in, in judgment. That's uh, called the great white throne in the book of Revelation. That's whether you're his or you're not his. So, th- this is God honoring our, our free will. He is acknowledging that we are in his image, and in that image is responsibility. The ability to rule, to reign, to make choices, and to live with the consequences. This, this, this is him honoring us. This is the idea that we would seize this day for that day. Seize this day, make choices, live by faith, you know, live full out in a surrendered life towards you know, your Savior and your King for that day, for that judgment day. There's about five different reasons, at least five different reasons in the Bible why we should do good, what which should motivate us to do good. It's very simple for churches to focus on one of those and isolate it, and it, it makes it feel like that's the only way to live. But the Bible has many reasons. I mean, One, for example, is um, out, of, out of gratitude for the love of God. Right? He made us, and then he saved us. And, and that should be the primary motive in everything that we do. Enough said. Put it down. Leave it there. But that's, that might be enough said, but the Bible keeps talking. Uh, another motive that's um, accentuated in the Bible is uh, for the fear of God, that God is holy and we should be holy and we should just obey him because it's very appropriate for God to say simply, because I said so. He's a king. We're servants. We'll just do what we're told. And so sometimes it's for the, what would motivate you is the love of God, sometimes the fear of God. If you look um, deeply in the, and even philosophically in the Bible, it says that the Bible says to do good because good is intrinsically good. It's good to do good. Why, w- why wouldn't you do good? Good is good. It's goodness. And uh, just, you know, in contrast to that, the Bible also says bad is bad. Bad is bad for your soul. Bad is bad for a culture. And so that's why you can turn in the book of Proverbs, for example, and people will quote Jewish or Hebrew Proverbs and not put a Bible reference because that can be offensive to some people, but the book of Proverbs just says, look, good good for goodness sake is a great way to live. It It has rewards in this lifetime in many respects, and then bad for badness sake will end up wrecking your life. But listen, besides for the love of God, for the fear of God, for goodness sake, and for the avoidance of badness. It also says you should you should do good for final rewards. God adds that to the equation, and and he he promises that. I know it's extravagant. I'm just saying he understands how to motivate us at times of weakness. Last week when we looked at rewards, we saw that we get to share in an experience of rewarded of rewards that that sounds like this: that we get praised by God and then we get delegated more responsibility. We get to hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant, as though that weren't enough. It is, but he he says, in addition to that, I've trusted you with a little bit of stuff, and now I want to trust you. Can you imagine? God wants to trust you with more. If I trusted you with little, I I want you to rule and reign and oversee even more things now. And so we looked at that, and we get to share in his joy. We looked at that last week. This week, I want us to look at Tangible rewards. In the Bible, they're they're talking about crowns. And we'll see, I'll tell you a little more in detail about what that means. But the idea of the judgment seat, where we would receive these rewards, the Bema seat, it's called sometimes, um, is an easy thing for the original readers to picture because it happened regularly, sometimes in the context of of warfare, where a a Caesar or a general, after a, a, a battle or maybe even after a war, they would have a high place you know, for people to be recognized in a chair, a judgment seat up there, and they would give awards to the men or women that acted in great courage or valor. In in a sporting context, right, there would be the Olympic festivals that would take place, and right, we see that even today, right, we have the, the, the stages to put people on, and then there would be someone giving them a medal of some kind. In the, in the days when this was written, they would have olive branches woven into a, a halo that they would receive, and they would receive, in addition to that, sometimes uh, tax-free existence for the rest of their life. Their children wouldn't be uh, um, drafted into the military, those sorts of privileges. That's the idea. That's when, they, when, they, when people read about the judgment seat and crowns, that's what they were picturing. Not unlike what if you might have seen last yesterday, right, after the Belmont, uh, the American pharaoh, the the, the the horse that won the triple crown, right? What did they do with that horse? They, they brought him to a very special place, the victory circle, and then, and then they put this giant wreath of flowers around the neck, right? So it's a special place, special honor, all that sort of thing. When the Bible references that, we have our own experience like that. We have those experiences, but the, but the Bible jumps in and says, wait, those are temporal. and And so the authors will say, Something like that, but this is eternal. It's everlasting. It will go on and on, and you'll be glad you made the choices that you made. Eternal rewards are to help motivate us and help us stay on target, stay on task, to focus on our following, uh, our commitment to our Lord Jesus, when sometimes gratitude for the love of God is lost in the fog of sorrow. And we, we just, we, we can't live that way. We can't be motivated by that. Or sometimes uh, the fear of God, because I said so, we have our fingers in our ears and we don't want to hear that. Sometimes when goodness doesn't seem all that good, it doesn't seem like the return on the investment is worth it. And sometimes when evil seems extremely attractive to us, this fifth thing, this, this, the idea of a final awards banquet comes in, swoops in and says, you should live for this. You know, that, that God will come and make recompense and make sure everybody is rewarded for what they do, whether good or evil. Now, what, is, what are these crowns when they, we speak of crowns in the Bible, in the New Testament? The first thing is there appears to be Uh, different different kinds of rewards, different kinds of crowns. Just, again, going back to our experiences, much like uh, in the military, there's different kinds of medals that you can wear for different acts of valor, different experiences that you excel in, just like in athleticism, right? Or maybe something that would be uh, similar to a gymnast that might receive medals at different events, different types of gymnastics experiences, and then one for an overall, it's that. And then second, I think you need to know, besides there's just different, Ones, and I I think the list in the Bible is not exhaustive. That's my my view. The other thing you might consider is that uh, we're not sure they're they're literal, right? That might be metaphorical. They might not be a literal halo, sort of crown that is placed specifically on you know right on your head. And people would drift towards that view because it's hard to explain what and what life is like in the next experience because it's like trying to for us to grasp like a sixth dimension or something right uh, so when when sometimes when bible's writers are talking about end times or not end times but uh, in the final judgment they'll say streets made of gold and you might stop and wonder is that really a good asphalt you know gold you know pure gold it seems like it'd be kind of soft so maybe the author is saying no it, it'll be mind blowing you know it'll be beyond your imagination it's it'll be like there's streets made of gold right so there crowns might be a reference to that it could be literal but here's the thing here's the thing here's what you do if it is metaphorical it's pointing towards these two things one it's it's clearly it's tangible there is something that you will receive something you will receive and second of all the reception of that reward will make all of the suffering in this life so petty that it will make pale in comparison, right? You, they, they should not even become, these events, these suffering, not even be worthy. That I don't even want to talk about them, Not even worthy in comparison to these days of glory that we'll receive, okay? Well, let's talk about four of the rewards that or crowns that are mentioned in the Bible that help us understand the values that our king has for us. First one, it's called the imperishable crown. A perishable crown. And this is sometimes referenced as an umbrella crown, referring to all of them, but I think it, it might be an individual one. And it's the idea of a, a person receives this crown when they surrender their entire personal life to the glory of God. When, when, when they make it their, their purpose to be holy and undefiled, their decisions are made always bent towards this, this thing to be exalted, right? To be like God meant them to be. And you'll see uh, the metaphor that's being used is, uh, is a race in First Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read this. Uh, do you not know that, that, I love when he says, do you not know? So it's like a, it's a duh. Well, duh, life is like a race. Your spiritual life is like a race. Your spiritual life is like a race and, and all the runners are competing but only one receives the prize. Well, who wins? Run in such a way as that you might win athletes exercise self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but you're going to receive an imperishable wreath an imperishable crown okay so he's saying look you guys are spiritual athletes and you know from physical athletes if you've if you've met or been an acquaintance with someone that's you know olympic level or professional level athlete you know this they're focused They are are focused on this one thing, and that is to run in such a way as to win. No one is trying to get third place. Everyone's trying to win. And so things that would uh, draw us away from the disciplines of athleticism, like uh, temptations or self-indulgence or distractions, he says, no, 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 you stay like these athletes are. Because, friends, if the Christian life is like a race, it is much like a marathon. It is easy to start with a lot of people out front cheering for you, and it's exciting, and it's right. you, you kind of go with the buzz there. It's easy enough to start it, and then somewhere in the middle, you, you, people start dropping off, and it's fairly hard to stay with the Christian life. But hardest still, no doubt, hardest still is to finish. It is to finish the race and to finish it well. And Paul is saying here that it is worth finishing well. It's hard to finish life well. It's easy to become bitter or just soft or it's my turn, self-absorbed. One Czechoslovakian philosopher and end up being martyred for his faith wrote this about how hard life is. He said, the terrible threat against life is not death. The terrible threat is that we might die earlier than we really die. The real horror lies in a premature death, a death of our soul or our soul's purpose. And then our body continues to live on and on and on. You have to run in such a way as to win, and the, this race that you're running is a marathon. I met my wife 34 years ago, uh, and she was, the f- she was the first person I'd ever met that had actually run mar- multiple marathons. And in the late 70s, early 80s, there weren't very many people that ran marathons. It was very unusual. And so when I met her, this is my, pretty much our first encounter, I had a lot of questions. I'd never met a real marathoner, and I had uh, things that I needed to ask, you know, like, why? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Do you not have a car? I can lend you a car. I can buy you a bike. What is... It? And now, now they have pills for people like this. But back then... You know, they, they couldn't help themselves. But, and then after she explained why, the, I said, well, how do you stay in it? You know, the whole 26 and a half miles. I mean, how do you keep running? Do you do it because, uh, for goodness sake, right? Just because it's good to be athletic and it's good to be in shape and it's, it's good to be good. She said, no, not really, you know? And I said, well, how about bad? It's bad to quit, it's bad to be, you know, kind of fat and lazy and just watching your wife, life go by. No, no, that's not it either. I said, well, then what? Why do you keep running? It's so easy to stop, she said, because when you start a marathon somewhere along, this was, this was somewhat new terminology back then, it was, you know, it's, you hit this, it's called the wall, the runners call it the wall, and you just want to quit. And at that moment, all I think about is going to Whataburger and eating one of those big Whataburger hamburgers with a giant chocolate milkshake wearing my Marathon T-shirt. <laughs> That's it. She goes, yeah. And I thought I should have I wifed her right then, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, what's motivating her is a Whataburger. So uh, it, not bad, right? Here's the point. Here's the point. Sometimes when good for goodness sake doesn't motivate you to do right or bad for avoidance of bad, God says, he goes, God knows what motivates us. He says, there's a prize at the end of this. There's, a, there's an athletic banquet. There's a sports banquet where we will receive a prize if we run in a manner, right, worthy of our calling. God is not afraid to motivate us by, by receiving a reward, a crown. And there's a second crown that's mentioned. It's called the crown of righteousness. And it, and it answers the question, what is, what is it that you dream about? In your heart of heart, in the deepest part of your longings, what is it that you long for? What do you daydream on? And this crown is given to people that daydream about loving his appearance, longing for the appearance of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come back and just make things right. People that will receive this crown are often... Experiencing a considerable amount of injustice. And so, where most of us, when we, the things we long for are some expression of comfort and safety and security, these people have abandoned that a long time ago. And they realize this is not the life, this is not the world that God created, this is the one that's been condemned or corrupted. And now they live a life, or they surround themselves with a life filled with injustice, and they realize, um, you know, the, the old bumper sticker visualized world peace they visualize world justice and so in paul's life in second timothy this is the last letter that paul will ever write and he's writing it to his trusted uh, pastor friend timothy and this is one of the last things he'll ever pen he's in a roman prison because he's been you know unjustly treated and he's been experiencing persecution and beatings and those sorts of things and he's looking around and he just he just wants to see jesus right and he writes this letter. Look at the context of the letter, verse uh, 6 of chapter 4. He says, you know, as for me, he's going to die soon, okay? As for me, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and, and the time of my departure is soon to come, and I have fought a good fight, and I have finished this race, and I have kept the faith. Again, he's using a, another sports metaphor relating to his life, his running his life. And he says he fought the good fight, and in the Greek, the word for fight, Fight, right, is agon. You know what word we get from agon? Agony, right. And so if he's an Olympic athlete, he's probably a wrestler or a boxer. And he's worked, you know, he's worked the ladder down. He's fought a lot of fights in his career. And this is now he's in the, you know, he's in the finals and his, his hands are heavy. He, he's having a hard time swinging, but he's going to go all the way to the end. And then what's going to motivate him to continue all the way to this finish line, all the way to the last bracket is, is verse 8. And, you know, from now on, there is reserved for me, because I've done so well, from now on, there's reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, right, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, on that day, and not only to me, but all of those who have longed for his appearance. All of those who have longed for his appearance. That's, that's what they daydream about. Again, these are, these are people that look at this life, and, and you can just tell in their, in their value system, and they, they verbalize it, they're just pilgrims. They're just uh, they're 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 just passing through. They're not settlers. They've lived with suffering or seen so much suffering. They realize I don't I don't want to. This is not home. They'll never call this life home. They never ask the question: Is is heaven going to be boring? <laughs> right? Because this life is too pampered for me. They've suffered American slave experiences. If you listen uh, to their old spirituals, you can see because they're they're uh, right they're. Their safety has been taken from them. Their, the, all of their rights have been stolen. There's no place to call. There's no place to even hope for in this experience. And so they, they, would, they would experience this life. They would, they would do their torturous jobs, and they would sing those spirituals like swing low, right? Swing low, sweet chariot. That's the chariot that God does, uses to come and swoop his, his children home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. That's a pilgrim's way. They're just just visitors. They travel light. They they don't care that much about here. They travel light because they're going to wear a heavy crown someday. They're going to wear a crown, right, of righteousness. There's a crown of life. It's it's just a slight nuance from the crown of righteousness. It's it's not so much about the suffering of life. It's about experiencing persecution for your faith. Okay, and... uh, and James talks about this crown, this crown of, of, of life. When James talks about the crown of life, he's talking about a group of people that were Jewish converts. So they were, living in a, they were Jewish in their religious background, right, in their culture, and they were living in Rome, and they were suffering persecution from two sides. They're fighting a, a war on two fronts. And he says this about that experience, verse 2. He says, you, look, consider that persecution a pure joy, brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your your faith it produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work in you, so that you would be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's there's experiences like because they're Jewish, the Romans hate them. Right, the Romans hate them for being Jewish. The Jewish people hate them for being Christians. And Paul's saying, look, you need to hang here, or I'm sorry, James is saying stay the course. I know you feel isolated. You're feeling absolutely alone in your experience. No one else is experiencing quite what you are. And he says, stay strong in this because, verse 12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under these trials because having stood the test, right, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised those who love him. Ask any saint, old saint, ask any old saint, and they'll say this, The roots grow deepest where the wind blows strong. The roots grow deepest where the wind blows strong. And it's it's very difficult to find um, people that haven't experienced persecution without them eventually realizing that they're living for this crown. Because sometimes, in the context of persecution, you're you're out of sight of, of the love of God. You start having your doubts about whether God loves you because you're not experiencing that. And so you say, well, you know what? If I can't experience that right away, I can do this. I know how to set. And God gives us this goal, this idea, this vision of having an awards banquet where we receive this majestic crown of life. The final uh, crown we have time for today is this crown of glory. Crown of glory is for people that are elders in a church. Pastors, I think, might be involved in quite possibly people that are ministry leaders or volunteer leaders, maybe, right? But it's this office of elder, pastor elder, and it's for people that are serving in the local church and getting discouraged, but they need to do their job description effectively. It says, Peter says this, he's talking as an elder to elders. He says, as an elder myself and as a witness to the sufferings of Jesus Christ, I saw it personally and I also shared in the glory that was revealed, I saw him resurrected, I exhort you to be elders, to to be shepherds, to the flock among you, he says. Be shepherds to the flock among you. And, and, and do this with great oversight, with not under compulsion, but willingness to do it the way God would call you to do that. Not for sordid gain, but do it eagerly. Do it in the way that the Lord would charge you to do it. Be examples to the flock. So, being an elder of a church, being a leader of a church is, some, is, is one of the few times, I think the only time where it's appropriate to covet that. You should covet being an elder, and one of the reasons you should covet that is because you'll receive this crown of glory, but only if, right, you shepherd the flock among you. That means you're in them with the flock, it's not a distant job. You're in them with, you know, during storms and during sunny days. You're in there in the bitter, cold winters and in the excruciating, brutal summers in the Middle East. You're there. And you're among them. And so you know them. And you're caring for them. And you're nurturing them. And you're protecting them. And you're going out and grabbing them and disciplining them and bringing them b- back to the fold. And if you do this appropriately, right? If you do this not out of compulsion, like a job that you have to do one more year and I'm done, but rather a calling, if you do this not heavy-handed like a bully because you do have the, a, a great deal of authority, but if you do this with firmness and compassion, Peter says this in verse 4. says, and then when the chief shepherd, picture that, right? The chief shepherd appears, you will win a crown of glory that never fades, You'll receive a crown of glory that never fades. It will be worth it. It's very difficult to be the leader, a leader in a, in a local church, but it's worth it. I served as a teaching assistant a long time ago in a seminary graduate school just north of Boston, just outside of Boston. And many of the students, actually most of the students, were uh, had their undergrads in the Boston area. And, and they wanted you to know that. And we, the first day of class, we would do, kind of go around the room, and everyone would introduce themselves and, you know, tell everyone what we should know about them, and it was not uncommon for someone to say, and this happened when I was there, you know, I went to an Ivy League undergraduate school. I graduated with good grades, and I was accepted to an Ivy League law school, but I've chosen to come here instead, and I could have been a lawyer, and our <laughs> in this one particular class, you could tell the, the professor had heard that a few too many times. He raised his eyebrow and said, well, then maybe you should be an, a lawyer then. You should absolutely be a lawyer. Because you, you make it sound like you've, you've taken on a great sacrifice to go into ministry, and it's not. And if you think the best use of your talents and your opportunities for God's glory is to become a lawyer, then you should do that. Do Whatever you do, just choose and quit talking about what might have been or could have been. Because you, this, is, this is true, that you will not receive as many rewards in this lifetime if you become a pastor. But know this to be true. If you go into ministry and you do it right, he said, you will receive a crown of glory from the chief shepherd and it will be forever. The last two weeks, we've been talking about this truth. There's no such thing as sacrificing for the glory of following Jesus Christ. There's no such thing. There's no sacrifice in that. Okay? And, I mean, last week I saw a little child, you know, maybe or No, yeah, just about elementary school. Pick up a piece of trash because he loves his church. And no one saw him, you know, for the most part, but God did there's a judgment day that day and God sees everything and he knows what's going on in that little boy's soul and he loves his church he wants it to look pretty and he knows that parents some, some parents are are doing their absolute best and trying to raise their child so that they would be attracted to the love of God and the justice of God and they and he knows that there are children that are living in homes teenagers and their internal rebellion is screaming because their parents are hypocrites and they want to serve God anyway and they're curtailing their rebellion and they, And God knows that. He, He knows there's missionaries out there. Their whole career, all the fruit of their career, could fit inside of a thimble. But that's not October, is it? God doesn't do his final judgment in October. There will be a day when Jesus returns with all the glory of his Father, with angels. And on that day... He will reward every man according to what they have done. You do not you do not pay a price for obedience. You pay a price for compromise. Life has only one tragedy ultimately, and that's not having been a saint. And whatever you pay in this life for persecution in acts of generosity uh, in suffering know this sentence to be true. I consider that the sufferings of this present time to not even be worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us, right? No matter what you experience in this life, you won't even want to bring it up. It is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. That day. Live this day for that day. Lord Jesus, <laughs> we are so human and we would love to be uh, singularly motivated by our love for you and what you have done for us. And I am glad that you know us well enough to not leave us alone with that, or just raw obedience, dutiful obedience, or just for philosophical good for goodness sake and bad for badness sake, but that you would reward us in your extravagance and your opulence and your generosity, that you would know in the recesses of our souls that we would, we would love to receive a reward from you. And Lord, if I'd ask that you would put that out in front of our minds so that we might stay the course, that we might live deliberately, that we would not live a life that's tragic. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.